welcome to Live True. My name is Drea Dalzell. This is my podcast where I talk about being a wife, a mother, and a human being. Welcome back, everybody. Um, it's been a while, been a little hectic and crazy. Um, I'm sure everybody is in a similar boat as um, we are moving through this life and all of the obstacles that are being tossed our way, both globally, personally. Um, it's just been a crazy year, it seems. Um, something that's been weighing heavily on me that I wanted to talk about um, is on the subject of grief. Um, I lost my cousin coming up on two years, end of March. Um, he and his girlfriend were killed tragically in a motorcycle accident in Phoenix, Arizona. And this person, my cousin, who I will refer to lovingly as Flower, it was my nickname for him, which nobody understands, but it just is. Um, he was more of a brother, a best friend, confidant to me than a cousin. Um, so going through the process of grief with that type of a relationship for me has been very very confusing and frustrating and and i feel the anger that just comes up and i have experienced a lot of loss in my lifetime between family members and friends um and this is a whole different level of feelings and um and processing and i i thought it be very interesting to explore that. So I started doing some reading and grief is a, is a very difficult thing to begin with. You know, you hear all the cliche phrases, like it takes time and everybody grieves different. There's no wrong way to grieve. And, you know, I, I get all of that intellectually, but tell that to somebody who has lost someone who, you know, a child, a, a sibling, a parent, anybody. And there are days where you don't want to feel anything. There are days where you feel everything and you can't stop it. And there are days where you are happy, but there are days that you are sad and angry. And for me, I feel like I, I have toppled on the edge of anger for so long because as a, as a mom, um, a full-time working mom, I, I don't have a lot of time to sit with this. And that's been really difficult. And not that I'm afraid to show those emotions to my children, but I, I can't be debilitated by my feelings when I am, you know, full-on mom mode by myself for a full weekend because I got a two-year-old and an almost four-year-old who will destroy everything in sight. So I've had to sort of shove those feelings down and it doesn't feel good because there's a lot of guilt that comes with how I'm allowing myself time to grieve. There's a lot of guilt about, you know, am I thinking about him enough during the day? And I think this is all natural stuff. It's not just because I'm grieving or don't have the time to grieve or whatever you want. This is all normal stuff. But I was feeling you know, like I said, guilty about not, do, did I think about him enough today? 
did I talk about him enough? Do I, um, you know, am I, am I doing or not doing something right? Should I reach out to this person? Should I call that person? And it's just exhausting, exhausting, exhausting. Um, you put on top of that, the fact that I live thousands of miles from anybody who knew him the same way that I do. Yes, it's a phone call away. But um, I've found that I've become very private with the way that I grieve him, um, which I don't know how healthy that is. But it's almost this selfish feeling of you don't know him like I do. So you can fully appreciate the grief that I feel, which just saying that out loud is so unhealthy. Um, but I think I have a lot of resentment and um, other feelings that are just accumulating on top of each other. And it's becoming so complicated. And that's one thing that I never thought it would have to be. You know, I'm still angry that I have to learn how to live my life without him. Um, it's sort of ironic that the one person I want to call to talk about what I'm feeling is him. And he was this person that was just, you know, <laughs> complex in his own nature. You know, on one hand, he was very emotional and could be very moody and frustrating and you'd want to wring his neck. But on the other end of the spectrum, he was this vibrant, charismatic funny, caring, um, just joy to be around. He had such a sense of humor, one of the funniest people you would ever meet. And he also had this way about him that when he needed to show up for you, he show up, showed up differently than anybody else I've ever known. It was never judgmental. Never. I mean, I crashed his car back in my drinking days. His car was the vehicle I was in when I got my third DUI um, because I had an interlock device in my vehicle. So I thought it'd be a good idea. Uh, I know where his keys are. He's out of town. I have been drinking tonight, so I'm going to go take his vehicle where every red flag went off and was telling me, do not do this. Do not do that. I mean, he even was on E. Like he used to like to run that thing until it was like puttering into the gas station. Um, and I had to fill up gas right across the street from our, our apartment because we lived together at this time. And I still drove it. And I got into a fender bender. Thank God I didn't kill anybody. And thank God I didn't cause more damage than I did. But it was in his car. And then I got his car impounded. And I remember the phone call. He was at his parents' house in New Mexico. And I said, you know, he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. And he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, um... I got another DUI and your car, and I just started bawling. I got your car impounded. And he was like, okay, stop, stop, stop. Are you okay? Was his first question to me. And I'm like, I'm fine. And he's like, okay. He's like, the rest we can handle. And that was him. That's how he handled me. And that I hope he felt that I handled him and all that he brought to me and trusted me with. Because I had impounded his car. I had cost him all this headache and frustration and all he could worry about was, are you going to be okay? Um, and there's so many stories that I have about him where he just took care of me emotionally. Like, yes, there's people who can show up for you. And he did, you know, when I couldn't drive for years upon years, he picked me up and took me places. But 
he took care of me emotionally because he provided this safe space where I could be fully myself and he could be fully himself and we could trust each other with those things that you don't say out loud. Um, so learning how to live life without that person is so hard and it's just sad. It's, it's sad. And I, I find that on top of trying to process those emotions, I have a hard time crying to begin with. So I feel guilt about that. I mean, I can't even cry over this person. Judging myself for how I'm feeling or not feeling, doing and not doing. And I wanted to bring light to that because I think we all experience that. I think we go through things in life where we see how others process them and we start judging ourselves and comparing ourselves, especially when it comes to losing a loved one. And, you know, you, you start to compare and, and it, it just gets all so complicated. And that's, that's where I'm sitting right now. So I felt it important to talk about that and to address the fact that sometimes all it takes is saying it out loud, you know, to another person. I'm very lucky that um, I'm, I'm as close to my mother-in-law as I am because um, my mother-in-law and I have been able to talk about grief in a way that I really haven't been able to with other people. And mostly because she understands grief on a very deep level. Um, my husband lost his sister um, tragically as well. So when I have these conversations with my mother-in-law and she shares with me, um, her story, her, her process through all of it. Um, the one thing I'm jealous of is that she can cry just at a simple thought, you know, and, you know, not that I want anybody to cry, but there's something so healing about that. And I admire her for her openness and her ability to be vulnerable in that space with me because not only does she need that, but I get the opportunity to know my sister-in-law, even though I never met her face to face, bringing her to life by talking about her, but more so than talking about stories. It's sharing the energy and the emotion and the impact that these individuals had on other human beings. You know, when I do get to a place where I can talk about my cousin with those who knew him, I love the energy that people um, have when they speak of him because he brought this sense of life and frustration and joy and there's so many laughs like you think you could have laughed your all the laughs you were allowed in life until you listen to somebody else who experienced this, something similar with him because he was just so you know carefree and i say childlike in a sense because there was so much of him that was still so joyful, like a, like a, a young child, you know, just living that experience in that moment. And I think that is why so many people were drawn to him because you've got to just be in that moment. 
and I miss not having to be responsible 24-7. And I, I shouldn't say it that way. That makes it sound negative, like he wasn't responsible. That's not it. But I think as I've grown into this role of being a mother, um, I am sort of more on, quote unquote, on each day. Whereas with him, it was this in the moment, just carefree energy that I just loved. And we, we experienced a lot of that together. And there's something about that that I miss because there, and I think that's why I used to reach out to him. You know, I had moved away from Arizona and um, it's, it was quite a while and he and I had to separate um, logistically. And that was really hard as well because it wasn't going to be the drive down the road and, you know, go do the thing. It was phone calls and planned trips that get really hard, especially once kids got in the picture for me. And I think there was a, a transition in our relationship that, you know, I kind of jokingly say that life was preparing me to learn how to live without him. And I think that makes me really sad as well. It makes me sad that I had to almost ease into this transition because if I had gone from seeing him regularly every day, you know, like I used to, to him just being gone, I don't know if I would have survived that. Whereas I had gotten to a place where, you know, he was living his life, I was living mine, we would check in with each other and have these three hour phone conversations to catch up and talk about kids and you know, family and all of the things. And then, you know, one day I get a phone call from my aunt telling me that he and uh, his girlfriend were killed. And I was, I was in shock. I remember that phone call. I remember everything that happened kind of after that fact and how I just went numb. And there's part of me that still is very, very numb because of my inability to release a lot of that emotion that I'm just kind of tucking away. And I think that's why talking about it for me is so important because it at least releases some of that energy that I have just stored away in my body um, because it's there. <laughs> it just doesn't come out as I would expect it to. So that's really where, you know, we have to start asking ourselves, you know, what is it about grief that brings the pain? You know, there's so many positive things you could say to transition that grief into a, to a moment of growth and opportunity. You know, for example, you know, things such as the feeling that it hurts so much reminds us that it was real and that that love was so strong. And that's very true. You know, there's a part of me that's grateful for how much it hurts because it's a testament to our bond and our relationship. And as much as I can find a little bit of comfort in that, there's still that place of selfishness because that's really what it comes down to is our own ego taking over and saying, but I miss this person. I want this person right here, right now. I need them for my needs. And I think that's the part that I get stuck in. I get stuck in self um, where I want to comfort and numb and, you know, do all the things to feel good about all of that pain. Um, and what I'm not doing right now is um, sharing that pain collectively with those who are also going through it. I was doing okay at first, 
you know, initially after the accident, but as time, you know, starts to go forward, I find myself isolating more and more and, and kind of stunting that growth and opportunity, um, to share his life and share his memories with other people. And I think that's very important to remember is keeping those people alive is by sharing, sharing our stories, sharing in each other's joy, as well as the pain. Um, sharing in that pain is so important for us as a, as a community, because, um, it doesn't just have to be our story. You know, somebody else can be hurting just as much and for different reasons. And I think it's important to acknowledge all of that, to see the full picture and to experience the full picture and also to learn more about a person. You know, he could have very well had a different relationship with 33 other people. And I want to know about those. But how can I do that if I'm not sharing? How can we find more joy in our in our rough experiences and loss if we're not collectively sharing those with with our communities. So that's the next step. The next step is learning how to be vulnerable enough in this part of my life to share that and not to feel possessive in a sense over my relationship with him because I feel like there's a part of me that is if I let this out to the open, I'm going to lose him. You know, think of how the brain talks, you know, talks you into doing things that are so false. Where in actuality is if the more I share about him, the more that relationship becomes bigger than what I think it is. Um, and then I get to listen to other people who have similar experiences or different experiences about him and, and keep him alive and keep his girlfriend's memory alive. Um, I used to reach out to her, her mom almost every single day. And even that has fallen silent, you know, through no fault of either of us other than, you know, life kicks you in the butt. And before you know it, it's been two weeks before, you know, it's been two months. And before you know it, it's been, you don't remember when, but it doesn't mean that you don't think about them every day, every second, you know, because of course you do. Of course you do. These people are with us. They're a part of us. You know, I joke about how I don't feel I have to talk to him. You know, a lot of people are like, talk to him, write him letters, you know? And I'm like, why? He's a part of me. Me recording this podcast, he's sitting here telling me, you know, mm, don't say this or say this. I mean, he's so a part of me that I don't feel I need to say it again. It's like repeating myself. But I feel, I still think there's a tool in that. And, and, you know, I find myself washing dishes. I have a picture of he and his girlfriend on, on my um, windowsill right by where I do dishes. And I do. I think that is my safe place where I can look at him and her and make a comment or say something out loud. And there is something very healing in that. So I, I shouldn't... I shouldn't say that that's not appropriate or that it doesn't work for me. It does. It's just not my, my go-to. Um, so I am very grateful for the bond that he and I shared. I'm, I'm grateful that we had that connection and I also can be okay in the fact that I'm very heartbroken still. I will continue to be very heartbroken 
and that those pieces of me that I feel were shattered um, are always going to be a part of me and they may never go back together again. They may never, um, you know, heal completely or at all, but there is so much that I can take from the situation and from how I choose to move forward from this, such as, am I going to continue living my life in a place of isolation and sadness? Or do I honor his and his girlfriend's life by living fully? Um, you know, they were bike riders, you know, they, they like to have the wind in their hair and be driving down the Arizona freeways and, and just enjoying each other's company in that free, free space. And I want to honor that. That's what they loved. They did what they loved and they did it till the day they died. And I want to honor them both by doing the same things that give me that rush of, of freedom and exhilaration. I want to indulge in that myself. Um, and I also don't want to live in a place where I'm wasting minutes away because not everybody has that opportunity. So if you have experienced grief and loss in any way that I have or any, any way of your own, you know, how are you going to honor that loved one? You know, are you going to allow that, that feeling to crumble you? and keep you from, from growing and experiencing life? Or are you going to honor them and continue to do the things that set your heart on fire and, and bring exhilaration to your life? Because that's what they would have wanted for us. And that's what my flower would have wanted for me. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue sharing my story because that sets my soul on fire. I love sharing my pieces of my life with all of you. Um, I think that community is so important and I'm going to continue to do so. No matter how large or small my audience may be, um, if I can relate to at least one of you, I feel that it's a job well done. Um, and if not, and the least you get is a chuckle here and there or a tear here and there, my job is done as well. So um, with that, I I'm going to honor my rebel souls whom I love with all my heart and send a message to both of them that, um, you know, I will continue to honor you both and I will continue to do what, what brings me joy and happiness and to thank both of you for being my reminder, for being my guardian angels every single day telling me to keep my head up, to keep my heart open and soft, and to keep doing what makes me feel great. Thank you, everybody. Until next time.